Alright, welcome to the life of Christ. This is term 3 and overall lesson 22. We're going to pick up where we left off. Um, we're on page 17 in chapter 4 of book 1. Um, we were talking about basically the conflict between Cain and Abel. And the last quote that I read, and I'll begin there, is again what uh, Henry M. Morris says, that this conflict had reached, again, the conflict between... Um, in fact, let me just go back up one more quote. Henry M. Morris explains, Abel's blood, crime from the ground, is the prototype of all the suffering inflicted on the righteous through the ages by the children of the wicked one. Its climax and fulfillment are seen in the conflict of Satan and Christ on Calvary. This conflict had reached a tragic crescendo when those religious leaders whom Christ had said were of your father the devil, all right, cried out for his crucifixion, hissing his blood be on us and on our children. That was a bad thing to say. Like Cain, they would see innocent blood shed rather than obey God's word. However, unlike Abel's blood, that uh, cried for vengeance, Christ's blood cries out for mercy and forgiveness. And why it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people, and to the sprinkled blood which graciously forgives instead of crying out for vengeance as the blood of Abel did. All right, that's from the New Living Translation. I think that's fairly clear. But not only does the blood of Christ graciously forgive us, according to the Apostle John, in 1 John 1.7, it also cleanses us from all sin. All right, he says that if we walk in the light, let's talk about the blood of Christ, we're talking about blood right now. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I want you to notice something that verse actually is saying. All right. Notice it says, if we walk in the light as He is in the light. Whose choice is it to walk in the light? If we. Do you understand? If we walk in the light as He is in the light. We can decide to walk in the light as He is in the light. Or we can decide to walk in darkness. And then we should not blame Him for the things that go wrong while we're walking there. That is an amazing thing to me. It astounds me how people go do the wrong thing and then say, Why is God doing this to me? Uh, look in the mirror. <laughs> okay? Duh. Check it out, man. Obviously, you're walking somewhere you shouldn't. Now, it is also true that we are living in a fallen world. Hear me? Okay? And even when you're doing the right thing, sometimes things go wrong. I'll keep bringing back the incident. Jesus on the boat. He was in the middle of God's will, and the devil was trying to sink the boat. Mark chapter 4, remember that? Okay. So, there are times, man, when you are... But, when you're doing the right thing, and you're being attacked. But those times, you have the right to stand up and say, Peace, be still, and watch the thing shut down. But in Jesus' name, amen. But if you're peacing, be still, and nothing is happening, check you. Because maybe you're not Jesus on the boat. Maybe you're Jonah on the boat. And we need to toss you overboard before the thing stops. Hello. 
<laughs> Don't read too much into that, but you understand what I'm saying, all right? You need repentance, you need forgiveness before you can step into that power again. All right. Returning to Genesis chapter 4, as a result of Cain's unrepentant sin, the Lord is forced to judge Cain. Now see again, had Cain repented, all right? Had Cain said, you know what, I'm sorry. Now this is incredible. I really want you to understand this. Had Cain repented, God would have forgiven, even though he took the life of his brother. There was still forgiveness available even back then. But I thought that was only available after Jesus died. If that was the case, David would have gone to hell full stop. I mean, he did the two things that have no offering of sacrifice for, and that is murder and adultery. I mean, all the other stuff you you can pay back and whatever, there's nothing you can pay back on those two. You can't undo those two things. Alright? But it's interesting, isn't it? God forgave him. Amen. Alright? So obviously we know there was forgiveness before the cross for all those things. Alright? Alright. Moving on. And so, it goes on to say now, verses 11 and 12, So now you are cursed from the earth, this is Jesus talking, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Don't you love the imagery on that one? Verse 12, When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength, or literally, its increase to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. In other words, Cain would be constantly on the move, looking for a patch of land that would yield anything to keep him going. I'll talk about this in a minute. And on the long run, he would also serve as a reminder to all those who came across him of the sure punishment awaiting the sinner, especially the murderer. All right, now, and I should say the unrepentant sinner, all right, and murderer. Okay. Let's just look at this for just a minute. One of the things that I I began to realize in the places of this planet that are experiencing um, adverse circumstances to growth, it's a nice way of putting it, are you all with me? Okay. Is usually because of this, there is um, almost a rebellion against God. There's almost, and you know the amazing thing, and if there isn't, all the people need to do is find out that if you get God involved, your crops will grow. That things will happen. But this curse came because of this. Alright, so this is where this actually started. Before this, you could plant anything, anywhere, it would grow. Do you understand? Today, for some reason, the weeds grow without any help whatsoever, and you do everything to grow the plant you want, and it drops dead on you. And you think, you know, seriously, why can't we have the reverse? Because of the curse. I'm almost, I almost think, if there was such a thing as a weed, before the curse, it would have kept drop, drop, dropping dead. Every time it, you know, it tried to get going, it would drop dead. And everything that you planted that was good would just grow by itself. After the curse, everything flips. 
The thing you don't want to grow is growing, and the thing you want to grow, and you go to Bunnings and everywhere else and get all sorts of things, and it still dies on you. (laughs) You Okay? All right. Have I had experiences? Maybe just a little bit. Now I have fake plants. Anyway. It's like the guy that had, you know. (laughs) Yeah, even they die, all right? (laughs) It's called erosion. Anyway. <laughs> it's like the guy that, uh, uh, you know, he, he was a chicken farmer and he, he kept getting chickens. And, you know, a flood came and just killed them all off. And so he bought another lot of chickens, you know, and he's trying to recover. And another flood comes and kills them all off. And he turns to the wife and he goes, What do I do? She says, Buy ducks. <laughs> you know, some days you just need to know when to move on. <laughs> okay. So, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. All right, Genesis 4, verse 13. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Now, you know, this is, I tell you, this is how those people that hurt other people, and you hurt them, and suddenly, oh, you need to take care of me. It's okay, I can murder somebody else, I can cause them all kind of grievous harm, but if anything happens to me, you better look after me. This is where it all started. That's what I'm trying to point out to you. You know, you can, you can trace everything back to the Bible. It is the story of mankind. The whole story, good and bad. And Cain said to the Lord, again, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Uh, William MacDonald says, Cain's whimpering complaint reveals a remorse for the consequences of his sin rather than for its guilt. Hmm? And White continues on to say, Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. Oh, whimper, whimper. I shall be hidden from your face. You didn't think about any of this when you're killing your brother? And when Jesus said, Turn from this. Can I just keep this in context? Don't whimper after you've got warnings and you ignore all of them and you go ahead and do what you want to do anyway. And now you're sorry, not because of what you've done, but because you got caught. And you have to pay the penalty. And he says, I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. At least you're not struck dead. And it, Sorry, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> uh, and it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. Yeah. Funny you were okay killing somebody else. Now, I'm not justifying that he should be killed. I'm just saying, isn't it interesting, the mentality? We had somebody in our church at one point in time, and this individual, I should have seen right through it when it first happened, said to me, now, you know, I've got this gift of counseling and correcting people, alright, but don't ever counsel or correct me, was what the bottom line was. It wasn't in those words, but that's exactly what was said. And it was so interesting. This individual was quick to point out everybody else's fault and you know, just whip him into shape. But you better not say anything about anything that this person was doing wrong. All right? Because this person just couldn't handle it. Doesn't that tell you something? You can't have two standards. Do you hear me? All right? Whatever standard you set, it needs to be for you and everyone. And make sure it's a godly standard, please. Amen? Alright. 
All right, the question has come up in class uh, with regard to um, verse 14 about anyone who finds me will kill me. Who is there to kill him? Now, one of the things that we don't understand, and you need to understand the way the Bible was written, was it, it was written to reveal incidents as they happen. It didn't tell us of everything that was going on everywhere okay, at the time. Adam and Eve had a great many children. Remember, they wouldn't die. Okay? They, see, this is a concept It's very hard for us to grasp right now because we live in a time where our age cannot exceed a certain number of years. All right? Back then, there was, there was no death. You, we were meant to live forever. Today, we should have been going, being able to go and visit Adam and Eve, not in a wheelchair, in a home somewhere, but literally like you and me. There should be just, we should be able to tell that they were um, of a great age, but not frail and fragile. Do you hear me? There would have been magnificent creatures to look at. Just incredible. And we would have been able to look at them and go, that's our mummy and our daddy at the end of the day. This is where we all came from. Okay, wouldn't that be something, huh? Oh, great, 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 whatever. Okay, there it is. All right, but sadly, um, that wasn't the case. Now, they didn't stop at Cain and Abel. All right? They had several kids. And back then, now when you understand genetics and when you understand a little bit about biology and stuff, the reason that there are laws in the land to stop uh, people that are related from getting married is because we pass on our defects. And the defects get greater and greater when we intermarry. Do you understand? Inbreeding is bad where we are right now. Okay? But when way back then, before all of that happened, well, that's where they came from. All right? I know it might be a little bit irky for you to think about this, but back then, brothers and sisters got married. That was it. There was nobody else to pick from. Okay? And the families would be huge. All right? They would multiply fairly quickly. Hey, it was a time when, you know, you just have kids. Sorry, what was that? No TV. <laughs> oh, I like you. Yeah, there was no distractions. Right? You had to make your own. So what can I say? All right, just, you know, the Catholics kind of give us an idea of how many kids you can have really quickly and a whole bunch. And not in a bad way. Okay, again, you just, I mean, if you try, you can have a lot of kids. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. And so by then, the earth would have had a fair few people on it. And this also then tells us something, that there would have been people that would have loved Abel. And there would have been people that <laughs> would have wanted to take a little bit of revenge on what happened to Abel. Hear me. We don't see any of this. And again, a lot of times because the Bible doesn't go into detail about all the names and all, you know, all the people that were there. They were there. They were there. Okay? And Adam and Eve have, have had plenty of kids by then. All right? Remember in the process of time. In the process of time. Time had passed. Adam and Eve were very busy. Okay? They were having lots and lots and lots of kitties. Okay? And I'm sure their kitties were having kitties by a certain point in time as well. So, you know, this is Uncle Cabe and Uncle Abel. And there has been a feud. Something has gone wrong. Okay? Um, so, does that answer the question? All right? Okay. Because of the time thing, we, we miss all of that. And the Bible is telling us 
of the fall of man, and it's talking about some key events that were just very specifically pulled out to teach us something. All right. Whereas the other ones weren't obviously doing anything significant one way or the other, we don't hear about them. Every time they did something significant, we hear. And as the population grew more and more and more things were being done, then we hear of that more and more. Until we hit Genesis chapter 6, and the whole world is getting corrupt now. All right, and we're going to see something there as well. All right, uh, good question, thank you. I uh, wasn't sure whether to answer it, but thank you. Since you brought it up, it was worth dealing with it. All right, so <coughs> I've said here this shows us that by this time the population of the earth was greatly increased. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, this is a point also that John MacArthur actually brings out, um, and which is why I've sort of referenced him down there. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. Isn't that wonderful of God? Alright, he's saying, don't do this. In fact, he's telling us the same thing today. You don't take vengeance. Alright, vengeance is his. Amen? And so he says, Therefore whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Isn't that interesting? God put a mark on him, not so that he'd get killed, but to stop people from killing him. Alright, so now the reason that the Lord says this is because at the time there was no system of law in place. And anyone who killed uh, Cain would, in essence, watch now, be, would be taking personal vengeance. And therefore would themselves transgress God's law at this time. Do you understand the difference? Okay. Now, if they had a police force and if they had a military and all the rest of it, well, those people have been charged with keeping the peace. All right, they are given a gun and they said, if you need to shoot, you shoot. Okay, comes down to that. Then, that. But before that happens, it's just citizen against citizen. And so one person kills somebody else and you go kill them. Well, that's not the law. That's just you. Do you understand? Which is why God said this. It's not that he's against that. Now see, this is the other thing we need to be careful. This doesn't tell us that God is against um, capital punishment. This is not saying that. This is just saying that God is against personal vengeance. Did you all get that? All right. Okay, Alan P. Ross writes, The narrative art of this story effectively presents a picture of a man without faith and a man in rebellion against God. And in this case, the Lord himself. And as the Spirit-filled Bible points out, the mark of Cain is unidentifiable since his descendants perished in the flood. So we'd never know. Okay, just in case you're wondering. Alright, let's move on. Following the sin of Adam and Eve, the Lord's interaction with their kids is also disappointing, which is Cain, and heartbreaking with regard to Abel. And as a result, the next time that the Lord interacts with man is about 1,050 years later, when he speaks to Noah. Now, you know, let me just stop there for a minute. We just think that this stuff doesn't affect God. It affects Him. Took him a thousand years before he'd come back and start talking again. Yeah. Think about that for a minute. 
here would be a few minutes for him. But you understand what I'm trying to say. It's just, you know, we, we miss some of these things. We miss the passage of time. We miss that, yeah, you know what? God said, you know what? Enough. Hmm? And although it is uncertain whether the Lord actually appeared to Noah, we know that it was important enough to him to make reference to it in Matthew chapter 24 verses 37 through 39. So we're going to fast forward into the New Testament for a minute. And where Jesus says, but as the days of Noah were. Isn't it interesting now when you read this, with the understanding, Jesus was there. He is never talking historically. He's always talking experientially. And there's some of the things he would have told his disciples. So the hair would have been standing a long time, I think. <laughs> you know, okay? Because there are things that they blurt out every so often in their writings, in the epistles, that you just think, oh, obviously the Lord told you something. Peter says, talks about angels that had been put into chains and that were waiting judgment. Where did all that come from? Hmm? Obviously it wasn't in any of the Old Testament books. It was something that Jesus had actually told him. Hmm? That was actually going on. Anyway, so in uh, verse 20, 37 again, Matthew 24, 37, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, showing that they were totally unconcerned and just continued to live as always. All right? eating, drinking, marrying, and so on, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Alright, so they had no idea it was coming. Even though the Bible says Noah was preaching. So this is actually talking more about the rejection of the information that was given to them, to the place where they really didn't take it seriously. Do you understand? So the shock wasn't that they didn't know. The shock was like, oh my God, it was actually true. Alright? Now, here in these verses we find that Jesus not only verified that the flood actually occurred. Point number one. Okay. Alright. But because people are always saying, now did it really happen? Yes. It really happened. And it wasn't local either. <laughs> okay, It was local. There'd be somebody else on the planet. Oh, yeah, well, yes, it was local to the... Yes, thank you. If it's local, yes, just to this planet, true. All right. <laughs> Although there was another planet destroyed in, the, in, the, in, in that, which we might or might not look at. We'll see. All right. <clears throat> um, so, first of all, this verifies that the flood occurred, but it also points to this incident as one of the signs of his return. All right? So obviously this all happened. And not only did it happen, but something is coming that this is going to be a sign. All right? This happened before, it's going to happen again. It's history going to repeat itself in a very funny way. All right. <coughs> now, let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Oh, Genesis chapter 6. It says there, beginning in verses 1 and 2, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. Now this is over about a thousand year period. Now, let me just um, share this with you. The reason that I'm putting time, uh, time spans on here, is to give you an idea of how long and what actually went on. Because, see, we read the Bible. 
Okay, and because we, you know, read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and you know, from Genesis 12 basically onwards, the whole thing, all the way to you know the end of Genesis, a lot of chapters. There is a lot of information about the Jews because Abraham was the father of that, the beginning, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, when we read this, we have this this concept that you know God was a Jew basically from the beginning. Okay, alright? I want to draw your attention to a certain fact, however. That God didn't start dealing with Jews like about a hundred years after creation. There has already been a thousand years gone past. Alright, before we get to Genesis chapter 6. Who has God been dealing with? Gentiles. Noah wasn't a Jew. The father of, this, of the human race was not a Jew. Can we stop for a second? There's the father of the Jewish race and faith, but then there's the father of the human race. It was Adam to begin with, alright? But by the time we hit Genesis chapter 6, so many of Adam's descendants are going to come to an end. And only one is going to continue with his family. Alright, and I don't know how you would want to put that, but you say what I, you understand what I'm saying. One family, alright, with the sons and the wives, are going to continue on from there. So that person, not a Jew, a Gentile, is going to begin the next righteous line that Jesus is going to come from. Are you getting a revelation? Jesus was not a Jew. Because Noah wasn't a Jew. Adam wasn't a Jew. And he had to come through that line. Somewhere in there, the Jews began. Follow, follow, follow me now, please. All right. See, Jesus, the only reason he talked about before Abraham was I am, because he was dealing with Jews. And to them, it was all about Abraham. But to Jesus, he was there to save the whole world. God so loved the world. Because it wasn't the Jews that got him there. If Noah wasn't a righteous man, he wouldn't be there. So all of Noah's descendants, listen now, all of Noah's descendants need to be saved. They all got in the ark. They were all righteous. Whatever happened after that, they were still, only the righteous were saved. Are you all with me? Okay. So when Jesus came to save, he's looking at the people on the ark and going, they all have to be saved. Some of them live in Nineveh, and they're terrible, but they need to be saved too. And Jonah goes, no, I don't want to go there. We won't go there today. Alright, so, <laughs> that's why God always has a worldwide view on things. Alright, and we should do the same. Okay. Now, oh my, five minutes left. Let's see what we can do. And so it says, when, the men, uh, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, all right, over about a thousand year period, the daughters were born to them. That the sons of God, now the Septuagint renders the phrase sons of God as angels of God. And I like that better. All right, because Jesus Christ was the son of God. Do you understand? These are creations of God. That's the reason why they're called sons of God. Not because they're his children, but they're his creation. Okay, good. Alright, and in context it refers specifically to fallen angels, since they were acting in opposition now to God's will. Alright, so that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all who, <coughs> whom they chose. Excuse me. 
in his commentary, Henry M. Morris brilliantly points out, I love this, now watch, listen carefully. He brilliantly points out that Satan had not forgotten God's prophecy. That a promised seed of the woman would one day destroy him. He had implanted his own spiritual seed in Cain and his descendants, but God had preserved the line of the true seed through Seth. Alright, over the page. When Noah was born and Lamech was led to prophesy that comfort concerning the curse would come through him, Satan and his angels must have feared that their opportunities for victory in this cosmic conflict were in imminent danger. Are you following? Okay, that's why we had to do all the things about the angels. Desiring reinforcements for a coming battle against the hosts of heaven, and also desiring, if possible, to completely corrupt mankind before the promised seed could accomplish Satan's defeat, they seem to have decided to utilize the marvelous power of procreation which God had given the human family and to corrupt it to their own ends. Angels can't have babies. That's unique to man. Do you understand? Okay, and unique to this realm, really. And so, Satan looks at it, he is nervous. He can see this going in a certain direction. Alright? And so he's thinking, alright. One thing the devil knows, if God says something, it will happen. He saw, he has seen that over and over again, obviously. Okay? Especially the creation of hell, when he was being banished into it. You could almost see as he was getting thrown, hell was being created as he was getting thrown into, into that place. It was changing. The closer and closer he got to it, I mean, you can just imagine the visuals on this thing. That God just started creating a whole other... You could just see the horror in his face. Not only has he got thrown out of heaven, but that earth that he was going to, that, he, that used to be lush and green, is the spiritual earth, alright? Is now turning into this fiery pit. Hmm? And this, this incredible place of uh, not good. <laughs> okay? Can I just say that? Alright, and that just that he would have seen and known that's how God is. That's who God is. He speaks something, it comes to pass. Alright? Alright, so he has said, One is coming. He's gonna crush your head. You're gonna bruise his heel. It was said as soon as it was said, it's like, no, don't say that. Okay? But it was said. And so now everything is in high gear. Stop that from coming to pass. And it's a virus, man. Once it's said, it just worms its way through everywhere to come to pass. That's a good virus. You think about that, okay? All right. So, what they need to do now is corrupt this thing from coming to pass. One way or the other, either overcome through battle or... Wreck the seed, wreck the line, because it said from a woman this is coming. So again, wreck the line, we're there. Okay, so let's continue. Men now were rapidly multiplying on the earth, and by implanting their own seed in humanity, they might be able to enlist in only one generation a vast multitude of allies against God. So these sons of God saw the daughters of men and took them wives of all which they chose. Do you get it now? Okay, it was a battle strategy. Alright. 
In fact, it is these angels that Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 2, when he says in verses 4 and 5, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for all judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah. So we know it's that time. We know it's those angels. Do you see all of that? Okay. One of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Alright, we're going to have to stop there. I'm really sorry. We've run out of time. We'll stop there and we will pick up uh, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. And see what happened next. Alright. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.